Hey, um, you know what? Why don't, uh, hey, Mark and Mary, and maybe somebody else, could you guys grab the refrigerated, like the grapes and the blueberries and carrots and dips, and let's just, let's throw those out as well. Uh, maybe a handful of people. So it's all down in the bottom drawers, the, uh, the very bottom. Holy cow. Um, yeah, we'll set that out. Help yourselves. We've got lunch coming here in about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. All right, so as we do, as, that, as the refrigerated goods are coming out to the snack table, um, as we do, let's look back before we look forward. So kind of the first hour and a half or so, what, uh, what is standing out to you? What, what are some, uh, actually, let's do this. Turn to somebody and top takeaway so far. Ready, go. From this morning. Okay, as you wrap up, or what were some of the things you guys were Just uh, one or two people, shout out what were, what were some of the things you guys were just talking about? What were some takeaways so far? Yeah, it's great. So again, to review, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, we are the equippers, our people are the ministers, and it's fine if you call church worker a minister, but the idea that we're fully furnishing to maturity to do the work that God has called them to do and to bring the church to maturity. And there are a bunch of forces working against that right now. But I think the invitation for the body of Christ is to become a distilled, potent body of disciples that stands in stark contrast to the surrounding society. And we're uniquely positioned to do just that. What a privilege. I mean, what a privilege uh, in this day and hour. Whether you do this full-time, part-time, as a volunteer, we're all, this is in us to, to furnish people, to equip them, regardless of your gift mix. Uh, we are making disciples and helping uh, grow the body of Christ up into maturity in Jesus. Uh, a couple other scriptures here. Uh, where are we? Yeah, a couple other scriptures here. Let's see if this comes up. Oh, I need to pull Probe Center back up real quick. Hold on a sec. I think it's worthwhile seeing the scriptures and not just hearing it. So give me a second here. All right. So, um, you know, I think for a long time, just to keep this theme of, you know, this cultural Christianity, this shift to to be a uh, earnest discipleship for a long time, it's been sufficient to be a believer. Uh, and again, in semantics, just hang with me. I like words, but um, to be a believer, uh, and that's not going to cut it anymore. Uh, Dallas Willard talks about how it's a modern phenomenon that you can be a believer and not a disciple, that we lead people to Jesus, they're, they're part of the church, and then discipleship's an option. You know, if you really want to follow Jesus in this way or whatever, but like, but you can be... That's, that didn't exist for like 1,800 years. <laughs> there was no distinction. Um, believers were disciples. Like you're a disciple. There's an expectation that your life is conforming actively to the person of Jesus. Even the demons believe, James, the brother of Jesus, would say. So, so what? You think you, you believe God is one. So what? You believe Jesus died and rose again from the, the grave. The demons know that. They know Jesus died and rose again from the dead. They believe that. Now, 
they haven't confessed that in, a, in an active participation in his death, burial, and resurrection. They don't love him. They don't obey him. But they believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They would often announce who he was and get cast out for it. <laughs> like weird stories. The, 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 you know, the fortune teller girl following Paul around. The, you know, he's telling you the truth. There's, and he cast a demon out. Like they, the demons know who Jesus is but they have an agenda that's, that's opposite his. So um, not enough just to be a believer. We're making disciples. Another just zinger from John the Beloved, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so I don't see... Again, this kind of gradient. No, salvation's a free gift. Hopefully in this, I don't have to be overly balanced with this group. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Salvation's free gift. But God, by his great mercy, with which he loved us, when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with him in Christ, so on and so forth. Like, salvation is a free gift. And, and the expectation of the disciples is if you have truly encountered this grace, there's a radical transformation of the life. In fact, a lack of radical transformation is a sign that you haven't actually encountered the grace of God to the New Testament disciples and to most of church history. So the idea that we can just give kind of mental assent to Jesus, pray a prayer, and boom, magically you're a disciple of Jesus is a modern phenomenon. And it won't cut it in this kind of day, this cultural moment that we're in right now. And I'm, that's not a soteriological comment. I think people can have a profession of faith and be saved. But we're not called to that. We're actually called to make disciples. We're not called to make converts. And we could go off on tangents about kind of evangelistic practices for the last 300 years in a different conversation. But, um, but this is our call as equippers, to form people into the image of Christ, to help them walk in his way, to walk in the same way in which he, he walked. So at your tables here for a moment, um, the first question will take about three minutes. In fact, I'll set a timer to, I always say that, and it's like 10 minutes. Um, three minutes, I want you to make a list, so you're going to need a scribe. What are the most formative influences in people's lives? What are the most formative influences in people's lives? And don't immediately, immediately jump to spiritual. Let's just think generally, if you just think of the average American, what are the most formative influences in people's lives? Table discussion. Somebody write it down. You got three minutes. Ready, go. Okay. Okay. So let's do this. We're just gonna we're gonna compile not a comprehensive list of every idea that you guys had, but let's just start to pick up on the themes. I'll bet there are there's a lot of overlap. So, all right, front table here. Corinne, is that you? Yeah, let's go 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 slow enough for me to capture some of them. Good old Sunday school answers here already. Awesome. Okay, anything on your list that's not up here already? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Family of origin, yeah. Yeah, parents. Uh, yeah, no, parents didn't make it up here in the first table. All right. Uh, anything else from you guys? Back table. More or less covered there. Yeah, okay. What about this table? Yeah, great. Yeah, I think um, I think you guys hit the major ones. I I would maybe add, and there's you could kind of Venn diagram these. There's a lot of overlap. Um, kind of with maybe this feeling psychology, I'd add habits. Um, we are formed through our own habits, in in huge ways. The habits that we pick up uh, along the way. Um, what's that? Um, and let's let's call this kind of media, all this, let's call this stories or narratives. Uh, so we've got, we've got different people, key people in our lives. We've got stories. Um, we've got uh, habits and, uh, and environments. Those are the four big ones. So, um, I mean, you could, you could group these in a bunch of different ways, but I would, I would group them in those four um, key people, habits, uh, environment, and uh, stories for the sake of where we're going in the second half here. And again, you could group them in your own way, but that's one way, one way to think about it. So we're all being formed. We're all being formed through these various, uh, these various mediums here. And um, all of these are, are super influential. What we just talked about at the end of the last session was stories, right? The, the narratives. Secular narrative uh, is a story, like the stories that Corinne is, is asked to tell in school, the the propaganda what you call it the I well we suck that word back in what what did you call it um, you said you used a word of like indoctrination or is it indoctrinated yeah there's like an indoctrination or you know now the all the virtue signaling with you know like every commercial has to have a gay couple in and every that's a story like there's a story that's being told there. And, you know, you can have your own ideas about that. But the fact is that we are, there are narratives that are dominant in our society, in our culture. So those are super uh, influential. The environment, socioeconomic, uh, geographical environment that we grow up in. Obviously, key people, parents being a, a huge factor there uh, or lack thereof. Um, and, and increasingly peers and as somebody gets older and teachers and bosses and so on and so forth. And then this idea of habits, um, and these are probably secondary, formed through these other these other mechanisms here. But these are the patterns of thought that we get into. These are the um, the routes that we choose to drive to work. These are the sh the stores we choose to shop at. These are the um, the addictions to our phone when we sit on the toilet or whatever. Like these these patterns that we get into are hugely shaping and reinforce. Um, these other influences, okay? So when we talk about how do people actually change, the next little discussion there at your table, uh, I'll give maybe a little longer than three minutes 
for this one is what is the church's, and I'm going to be unfair here and just be overly general, so think kind of general West, Western church, or maybe you could be more specific in your specific church expression. What has been the church's approach to, to make disciples, to help people change, to help people be formed into the image of Jesus? Like if, if we were to write, pardon me, if we were to write, maybe your church has a stated working theory of how people change. Most churches don't. Um, but if you were to create a, this is our church's working theory of how people change, not so much what we would say we think about that, but what we actually do. Like if you just observe what the church does to help people change and be formed into the image of Jesus, what would that working theory be? Does that question make sense? Okay. Uh, so take three to five minutes here. I'll check in at three minutes, see if we need more time. See if you can come up with like, almost like a formula, you know, of like this plus this plus this plus this equals change. This plus this plus this equals, you know, forming people in the image of Jesus. All right? And based on what churches actually do. All right. Ready to go. Got a clarifying question from the back. Let's just say I was, I was too vague in that setup. Let's say this is your actual church. Like what are the observations you make of your actual church that you attend that you're a part of? just to be a little bit more specific and relevant to this conversation. All right. All right, don't worry if you didn't crack the code yet. Um, all right, we'll start in reverse this time since you guys got the leftovers, the last uh, whiteboarding. Good, 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 good. All right, so what, what we got so far, Church? What are some of the components of how people change at y'all's churches? Immersion. We're talking about Little Rock, Arkansas. We've got some immersion going on here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and an export. Is that what you said? I like it. Hey, you got 80% of the way there in like 60 seconds. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> awesome. All right. What about you guys? What would you add, change, tweak? What would you guys come up with there? Anything different? All right. Seeing this, any other thoughts? Sparking anything? Awesome. So what I want to do is just propose to you a theory of change. You don't have to adopt this because really it's, it all overlaps. And however you're, it, we'll talk this afternoon about the D school folding into the the vision of the church that you're a part of, and how critical that is that the that it's hand in glove and not siloed and not in opposition to. And so, if your church has you know an acronym or a you know a whatever. Um, Go with that. But behind the curtain, in terms of like how the sausage is actually made, got some thoughts. Um, just mixed a couple metaphors there. I'll make sausage behind curtains. But um, <laughs> under the hood, if we're looking at how the sausage is actually made, um, then I'd like to just propose some thoughts in terms of a working theory of how people change that I would challenge us to think about integrating into our schools or at least kind of looking at what we're already doing through a filter 
and maybe tweaking and evaluating some of how we structure our schools based on this. And this is um, the fruit of just a lot of study over the past six months. If you read Dallas Willard, a lot of this will look familiar. A lot of this was adapted from his work. Uh, but I've, I have... I just was curious, like, what, what's out there? And so I've, I've been studying a lot of other fields as well, from education to business to psychology and counseling to, like, what are people's, like, how do people grow, actually change and grow? And the fascinating thing is that there is tremendous consistency <laughs> across all these fields. Like, this is not a new science. Like, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, it's actually, and it's very clear in scripture when you start to kind of, so it's fun, like, whoa, that matches this, and wait, what, this matches this, and there are just some consistent, or like four to six or seven consistent pieces across disciplines, whether Christian or not, in terms of how people actually change and sustain change, and so that was really encouraging to me, like, we don't, we're not shooting in the dark, like, there's a well-worn path in front of us, and so I want to suggest uh, a few things. And as a lead-in here, is this okay? Is this an okay pace so far? I know it's, I know it's a long day, late night last night. We good? Okay. It's helpful so far. Wanted to go this direction this morning because I just feel like we're in a, a window of opportunity here. Instead of going, we could just spend the whole day looking at application cycles and interviews. And we will do that. That'll be the afternoon. We're going to look at the actual nuts and bolts of a school. I, just, I felt like there's just a window here. If we need to course correct, like now's the time, you know? And I think the schools, again, are just pivotal, critical. So we're taking some extra time talking about this um, because I don't want to miss this window of what we think God's doing. So um, the, the uh, losing my mind, where's that black marker? There it is. Um, just as a segue here, it was interesting studying kind of the ancients, if you will. Uh, people have been thinking about this for 2,000 years, right? So reading some church fathers that talk about this, and they thought of um, spiritual formation in terms of um, you've got roots, and I'm not an artist, and you've got a tree, and you've got branches, and you've got fruit on it. You've got some branches up here, maybe a little bird. Okay, and, um, and you had what they would call the fruit, uh, they used the term gross sins, or what was translated gross sins. The branches would be conscious sins, the trunk unconscious sins, and the roots, what, and um, gross sins meaning like this is destroying somebody's life doesn't mean like icky. It means like this is very visible, very destructive. And so often, like you literally have to deal with this first so somebody doesn't die, you know, like in the discipleship process or just to stem the bleeding so we can get to, and I'd be curious, Mark, as a clinical psychologist, did I say that right? Clinical psychologist? Close enough. No. Well, what, how would you say what you, what do you study? Licensed professional counselor. Um, so I'd be curious to get your feedback on this. But they, uh, so we have a couple right now that, that uh, I'm walking with, and he's a new believer. She's got a crazy this kind of journey, and um, they're pregnant. They want to get married. They're not, they're not married. They're pregnant. 
And so we sat down, and part of the discipleship process has been challenging them to abstain sexually. Like, they're just so addicted to one another, and there's so much codependency. And so, uh, and they want me to do a wedding, and so there's some other factors there. And, and um, so I gave them a challenge right off the bat. We're not into behavior modification, but I did give them a challenge. Hey, for, I want you guys to abstain for a month. Just challenging you to, to kind of stop this destructive pattern so we can start to work on some of the deeper issues. All right, so this would be like destructive patterns. Conscious sins, these are like, I am, I am uh, I'm making provision to do this. Like, this is a habit that I'm continuing to do. Unconscious, unconscious sins would be, I'm not necessarily making provision for it, but I keep, I'm in a pattern, I keep doing this. I keep going back to this. I don't like it, I don't want it. The trust structures, this is the deepest place in the human soul for what is actually driving us, what's actually motivating us. Like, why, why? is the fruit what it is? Why is the trunk and the branches and the fruit what it is? Well, that's all coming out of the soil of the trust structures. Like when it comes to finances, somebody's deeply in debt, well, there's a trust structure issue. When it comes to sexuality and somebody's sleeping around, well, there's a trust structure issue in terms of their sense of identity or acceptance or whatever. And so um, as I've been studying, almost everything around actual transformation deals with the roots. Now, this is, you're like, this is, this should be just self-explanatory. But I find that a lot of times in the church, because we can't see this, we see this, and so a lot of times our efforts go to deal with what's visible. And I've observed this in the school where somebody comes through and they actually look, they look great. Um, and maybe maybe one of the fruit is pride. I don't, I don't know. Like, but on the surface, they look great. And then like this couple I was talking about uh, earlier today, you know, six months later, they're going through a nasty separation. Well, there was something in the root structure, the root system that didn't get dealt with while we were in the school. Is this making sense? So I'm just setting this up to say what I'm about to, to kind of go through almost exclusively deals here and not in behavior modification and moralism. And so even when we talk about, like, you know, conforming to the way of Jesus, it's a narrow way. Let's, you know, we ought to walk in the same way he did. We're still not talking about here, even though a lot of us immediately jump to, well, don't sin, you know, don't, don't drink, don't cuss, don't watch, you know, whatever, even though I used that example earlier in Game of Thrones. There's a deeper... There's a deeper system here that's, that's, that's giving rise to those other things. Okay, so with that, um, what, uh, anybody familiar with Willard on this topic? Yeah, what do, you, what do you remember of him, of his work when he says, when he talks about spiritual formation? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, anybody heard of Vim? V I M, Vim. He had, he kind of coined the Vim model for how people change, and it's V I M: vision, intention, means. And then a lot of people have done a lot of work to expound on this, especially on the means. And so, we're going to break this down here. 
So it starts off with a, a vision of Jesus in the kingdom. So the first step of transformation is people have to see Jesus for who he actually is. If you think of the disciples in the scriptures, they had you know, encountered him at the, at the Jordan River, some of them. So then when he comes along the shores of Capernaum and he calls uh, James, John, Peter, and Andrew to follow him, they drop their nets immediately and follow him. They had to know something about him. There was something compelling enough about this man that they were willing to drop their nets. People need a vision of Jesus. They need uh, uh, an, an encounter uh, that, you know, almost everybody included something. I'm just so thankful for our, our tradition, our church expression, that is so heavy on encounter. And that means a lot of different things for different people. But bottom line, they need revelation from the Spirit of who Jesus is that's compelling and his kingdom, what it looks like, what, who he is, what he did, what he's about. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Anybody have it memorized? 2 Corinthians 3.18. Yep, yep. So we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being what? Transformed. A1A, beholding the glory of the Lord as we behold him, as we gaze on him, as people gain a vision of who he is or being transformed into the same image. That's the, that this is it. Like this is what we are about, what we are trying to accomplish or being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. This is, if you look at Paul's apostolic prayers, actually all the apostles, uh, in particular Paul, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, would have strength to comprehend. And elsewhere, and uh, I think it's in Ephesians 1, he says, uh, yes, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Always praying that uh, Colossians 1, that they may know you, know you. God, open their eyes. Give them revelation. Give the church revelation. Give the church revelation. Like every time Paul is beseeching God, open their eyes. Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Show them the, the, bre the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of your love, a love that surpasses knowledge, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. Um, so starts with a vision of Jesus. And this is to go back to that chart and kind of philosophical speak. This is ontological. Ontology, the study of what is, like what is real. People need to know Jesus is real. He rose from the dead. He lives by his spirit. And God does that through revelation. Uh, okay, so that's vision. Intention, and I love what, the way you said it, uh, Bobby, uh, is immersion. Uh, encounters with Jesus, gospel testimony, worship, and then an expect, wait, expect, uh, who said it? There was a phrase you used, oh, personal ownership. Um, the way you said that the first time, personal ownership, there's an idea that somebody's actually setting the intention of their will to follow him. That sounds like too simplistic to even mention, but um, this is really important. And uh, we're calling these drop the nets moments. We do this in our in our uh, in our expression in our what's the word, in our practice. A lot of times in our response times, 
or like, you know, altar call, that kind of thing where like, if this is you, we did it last night, if this is you, raise your hand. If this is you, you know, you're getting people to drop the nets and actually take a step towards Jesus. Draw the line, step over it, like come down to the front. And, uh, and we have the opportunity to do this in the school like every day to get people to set the intention of their will to follow Jesus. Now, um, I didn't say this earlier, but most churches, I, I would argue, like let's think outside the Antioch movement, from my experience, functionally, the, the formula would look something like if we give the right information with enough inspiration uh, and, we, and we motivate people to tap into their willpower, they can change. Now, part of that's true. I do think they need inspiration, they need information, and they need willpower, but it's incomplete because the intention of the will will only get you so far. It is critical, but you also need the means to sustain it. Um, willpower is like a muscle. You guys know that. Like, it literally, like, if you lift weights long enough, you get to a point of literal, like, you, I don't know what the science is behind it, but you don't have the energy in your muscles to, you, you know, that last rep, you literally can't get it back on the bar because it's gone. Like, you don't have the energy. Willpower is the same way, which is why most decisions, bad decisions are made after 10 p.m., right? So you get to the end of the day, you're just spent. Like, their will has just, maybe it happens at 6 p.m., maybe it happens at noon, but, like, we all get to that point where we're just, just tired of making the right decision. <laughs> like, we just, but it is critical, and we have to uh, call people to set the, the, atten- the intention of their will towards Jesus over and over and over again, and, and our own. That's why I get up, spend time with Jesus, and part of my time with Jesus is surrender again every day. Jesus, here I am. You're Lord, I'm not. I surrender my mind, my eyes, my speech, my heart, my uh, energy, our finances, family, future. It's all yours. Like, I'm choosing today. Now, does that mean I don't sin that day? No. <laughs> but it does mean I'm oriented in a direction from, from the minute I, you know, I get out of bed. But there is a third piece here, and this is the means. And so the intention of the will. So we had vision of Jesus, the kingdom, surrender to God slash intention. Uh, that would be, you know, Matthew four eighteen through 22 is that story of um, dropping the nets. The means here, this is where, um, like, all the research I've done, secular or otherwise, really uh, corresponds together. And what it does is it mirrors this. You guys already nailed this. You already know how people are formed, right? There was a ton of overlap. After we got through the first table, it was kind of like, yeah, we had a few tweaks, but we know how people are formed, the people around us, our environment, the stories we believe, reinforced by our habits equals formation. It's actually no different for spiritual formation. Okay? So... This is the means by which people change. What do I mean by that? Talk about the people. So we talked about you know, family of origin and peers and so on and so forth. For spiritual formation, so if that's just for formation, for spiritual formation, what's required? Community. And not just community. Um, there's a, a vampire cult in Waco. They have community. A vampire cult. So quick aside, funny story. We have a guy here uh, named Travis Tarver who goes to Antioch. 
and he reaches he reaches out to like witches and vampires and I mean he has this crazy ministry of which there are many in Waco I did not know um, and so he went down there's like this gathering of uh, this vampire cult uh, and he went out to just be with them share the gospel and he always takes somebody with them and and um, so he's talking to this you know these two people and they were like you know he's like tell me about your practices and stuff and. They start saying these weird things they do, and he's like, I too ritualistically drink somebody else's blood. <laughs> and totally segued into the gospel. And they're like, no way. He's like, yeah. And he talks about communion, and they're blown away. So anyway, uh, so not just community, community. Uh, what kind of community? Right, biblical community. Right, There's a lot of ways we could say that. But we do need to make a distinction. Not just any community, and I would say not just any life group, um, but communities that are being shaped by the way of Jesus. Uh, okay, so that's people. This one's uh, maybe a little tricky where I'm trying to get with this one, but yeah, let me just see what you guys think. How do we, how do we, if if environment causes a formation? When we talk about environment with spiritual formation, what are we talking about? Culture values, what's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great way to say it. Um, the, the shorthand here, I'm just going to say Holy Spirit. Presence of God. A new environment. A new atmosphere. Uh, this would include um, inner healing. This would include... Uh, af- the affirmation of God. This is listening prayer. This is um, like somebody who's just, who grew up in a, a really dysfunctional environment has to step into a new environment that's safe. Now, of course, that happens in community, but it also happens by God's presence, right? We are training people to depend upon and commune with God. I mean, that's what sets Christianity apart. Like, Jesus rose from the dead and abides with us. We don't bear fruit unless we remain in him. Uh, you know, a couple of scriptures, dependence on the Holy Spirit. I mean, all of John 14, oh, not all, but a lot of John 14 and 16. Um, John 16, 8 through 13, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment, so on and so forth. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth etc. So many scriptures about being formed by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and so on. Paramount, paramount that people learn to abide and walk with the Holy Spirit for ongoing transformation. Uh, Godly community, I didn't share these scriptures, but uh, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Uh, All of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, um, Proverbs thirteen twenty. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Companions of fool, companion of fools will suffer suffer harm, etc. Uh, all the one another's of the New Testament really describe this biblical community that sets Christian community apart from other communities, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, loving one another, honoring one another, exhorting one another, and so on. Okay, so we've got community, got the Holy Spirit. What about stories? How do we counteract the stories, the narratives? that are shaping us. Okay? Testimony, 
It's great. I mean, nailed it. And I would just just shorthand it, say Bible testimony could cross over. And um, but there is a narrative. There is a narrative. We just wrote it up here. The whole secular narrative, Christian narrative. There is a story that counteracts the stories of our culture. It's the story of the scriptures. Pretty straightforward. Um, and you know, so many scriptures about being formed by the Bible. Uh, Romans 12.2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's that word again. The metamorphosis in the scripture, that metamorphos, or whatever the Greek word is. By the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you can discern what's the will of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scriptures breathed out by God for approved correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped, again, furnished for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 and so on. All right, and then lastly... It's reinforced by habits. You already, you've already said it in multiple, diff- multiple different ways, but what do we got here? Yeah, spiritual disciplines. So this would be just straight up um, um, Foster, right? Richard Foster. So Bible study, prayer, worship, contemplation, uh, meditation, simplicity, solitude, communion, celebration, so on and so forth. This is the practices that reinforce, and, and again, so many scriptures about training in righteousness. Um, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, not walking in the counsel of the wicked, etc., but delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. That person will be like the tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit. Second Peter 1, 5 through 8, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, these all speak of training in righteousness. The, the hard work, again, shoveling coal, sweating in the 120 degrees, and, and putting in the work. All right, so throw this up here to say this is just a model, enough to be your model, and it's a working model. Every time I kind of present this, I tweak it just a little bit. But I do think there's a lot of biblical affirmation of these thoughts and, again, just observation, just kind of pedagogical observation uh, among multiple disciplines of how do people change. Again, it was fascinating uh, in secular research it's people, environment, stories, and habits, like over and over and over and over and over again, set in different ways, but more or less the same, the same components uh, with some nuance. Let me pause there. We're going to land the plane here in a second, but any reflections on this or points of disagreement? You need to expound on anything. Yeah, sure. I think... Uh, We'll get more into the nuts and bolts of how to break this down this afternoon. Um, you know, I I think as a as a starting point, I I, I think you'd be hard pressed for somebody like to come to me and and try to make a case that you know like watching Game of Thrones is somehow missional. Like you know, in, in staying abreast of like what's going on. In the, now there, I do like I do stay up to date with like what's going on in the world. But we're talking, I erased it, we're talking root systems, trust structures. Jesus, like I would talk motivations. I would talk, uh, again, just way of Jesus. Like if you can square this with Philippians 4.8, you know, finally brothers, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I feel like that'd have to be nuanced further in terms of the specific circumstance. But um, yeah, maybe we'll circle back to that and, and break that down more fully. It is a great question. 
it's where the rubber meets the road, right? Like, there's no formula. This is as close to a formula as, I've, as I will dare to get, and even this isn't a formula, especially when you throw in that the Holy Spirit's part of it, right? Um, these are just components that we see in Scripture of how people change and how people are transformed. And so what we've done is essentially take this, and we've kind of overlaid this on top of our like, curriculum and lesson planning in the school and evaluated where are we weak, where are we strong, like what components, because everybody has a bent, you know, um, and, and which is a great thing, but can also be a weakness. And so we need to be cognizant of where do we just kind of naturally tend towards. And, oh, my gosh, we haven't, like, helped people form a biblical narrative. Or, like, oh, my gosh, I've, I'm such a teacher, and I've taken them through church history and everything else, but they don't know how to walk with the Holy Spirit. Or, uh, or man, they're doing all these things. Oh my gosh. Oh, they didn't call or text. Uh, yeah, just right there on the table. Thanks, Trisha. Um, and um, anyway, this is formed a filter now to make sure we're balanced. And the idea is that you can do five of these six things. And mission might be a, a kind of another one here. I'm, I am, I've got it italicized in my emerging working theory of how people change of like, is this a prerequisite for growth or is this a, a result? Of these other things, it's just like an off an offshoot. We'll come back to that, but basically, like consistent vision, intention of the will, biblical community, dependence on the Holy Spirit, biblical formation, spiritual disciplines. I found that if somebody is operating in five of these six, even like really like consistently and well and holistically, but just five of the six, they won't last for a lifetime. Certainly, four or three or two or one of the six. Uh, you may disagree with me, but if you, if you don't walk with the Holy Spirit, if you're not walking in community, if you're not being biblically formed, if you're not consistently feeding the machine, you know, feeding the boiler, um, if you're not consistently submitting to God and setting the intention of your will, if you don't have a vision of Jesus, like any one of these and the thing falls apart over time, and you, all this happens in the context of pain and time. So the vessel is pain plus time. And the more you turn up the dial on the heat, the pain, the faster the cracks in the foundation will be exposed. So if there's one of these components that's missing in the people that we're training, as soon as they get in a situation where the pain in their life is, is, is increased, it'll expose what's, what's not there. Okay, so, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I think feedback is huge. Feedback loops. Um, we do this once a year for that very purpose, to cross-pollinate. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, I learned from, and that's what we'll do this afternoon. We're going to have a lot of, like, table discussion and look at these different processes. And, like, oh, my gosh. In, in, in uh, Boston, they do this really well. We don't do this. I, it was a blind spot. You know, so these types of events... Uh, we get feedback from our students. Well, you could ask if, in your case, like in our case, we have a team, so we constantly have like, you know, seven to ten. To, we have tons of D group leaders, so we've got a lot of people we can draw feedback from. In your case, you could just, hey, could you come in and sit in our staff meeting, or could I run these? This is what we're doing. Just get other staff members or friends or people you trust to evaluate what you're doing and sit in on a session or whatever. 
and give you some feedback. Feedback's hard, but if you develop it, it's like another muscle. If you develop a habit, a habit of getting good feedback, you, you turn, tend to crave it. Um, so, yeah, I would just just open yourself up to scrutiny and evaluation. Um, something we've been doing more of in in class is just real time feedback for is this helpful? <laughs> like, um, and it's not always the most helpful coming from the students, um, but often it is. Um, but it, it takes some, it's vulnerable to just open yourself up to scrutiny like that. Uh, being a, a lifelong student in the scriptures, lifelong learner. Yeah, I don't know. What, what else do you guys think? What are other ways? Anything else that I'm missing? You think? Yeah. Yeah, and to that, that's, uh, that's a great thought. And one of my, well, we'll kind of round this out here, and, and then we'll pick this back up after lunch. One of my observations of Antioch who do uh, we were we were started by a highly intuitive set of leaders who do all of these things intuitively the the challenge becomes when uh, you're still operating intuitively but you got somebody who's not doing all these things <laughs> uh, and so I think it, it, it's worth the hard work to articulate what is our approach to discipleship and change. Literally, like, write it down. So to, to pull from the Wesleyan movement, uh, the Wesleyan tradition again, I don't know if it's still the same, Christy, in the UMC today, but early Methodism had something, it was a document, I think it was called Rules and Doctrine, or Doctrine and Rules, or something like that. Basically, like, Doctrine and Praxis. Um, and it was, like, the rule book. Like, if you're going to be a Methodist church, like, here you go. It's prescribed. Like, um, Antioch churches don't have that. Uh, we have a relational, intuitive network that's just kind of like, this is kind of, if you were in a D school in Waco, you kind of like took that and you've kind of reproduced that in your, but it wasn't like a handbook that we handed you. We're going to have some documents. We're going to physically hand you this afternoon. It's like, you know, it, we call it wine and wineskins. It's still not prescribed. The values are, but the practices aren't. Well, it was, it was not that way in the Methodist church. They said, here's how you do it, um, for better or for worse. I think for better for a long time. And for us for the sake of whoever we hand the school off to, because you're probably not going to lead the school for forever, um, to do the hard work of articulating, here's why we do what we do. And, and then again, have somebody else evaluate that. Where are the holes? Where are the gaps in our approach to training? Uh, and then diversify the voices that are speaking into that and modeling that, and being strategic with who you pull onto your team. Probably the people who bug you the most are the people who need to be on your team. Jimmy drives me crazy at times. <laughs> Like, we could not be more polar opposite in how, I love, I love he and Laura, lifelong dear friends, and in a work context, the guy drives me crazy, um, but I need him, and I have the, the confidence now at this stage of my life to say, he needs me, and we need each other's giftings, and we need each other's approach, um, and, and it's a beautiful thing when you get that diversity of gifts working in tandem together. All right, eyes are glazing over. We've gone a long morning, so uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to pick this back up and look more specifically and do some, do some work together to, to work this into our schools. Uh, I, I hope they labeled them. Uh, again, there should be um, a couple that are gluten-free, dairy-free, one that's a vegetarian. Other than that, I just kind of got like a sampling, some chicken salad sandwiches, some turkey sandwiches. Um, so just take your pick. Sorry if everybody didn't get what, exactly what they want. Um, 
And we'll just, uh, it's a beautiful day. It's 11.53. We'll get started again at 12.45. You can stay in here, hang out, chat. If you need a little introvert space and spend a lot of talking, a lot of noise, uh, you can fan out. Uh, you know what? I wonder if Martha's coming in. There was one lady who wanted to make an announcement. Um, tell you what, grab your food and hang here for a second uh, until I can confirm whether or not Martha Harris is going to come in. And then I'll confirm with you. And then feel free to just fan out around the campus if you need to run and grab more coffee or whatever. Um, so, yeah, Rachel, why don't you stand up, pray, pray for and bless the food. What's that? Ah, uh, yes. I have a knack for doing that. It's a, it's a gift, a spiritual gift. Hey, so there's a picnic table just out this door. There's a picnic table just out this door. I can't get a hold of Martha, so feel free to fan out a little bit. If she shows up, I might pull you back in briefly for a quick announcement. Uh, but uh, feel free to take advantage of a beautiful day in Texas. It's like Southern California today. Really? <laughs>